Today is June 6, 2022. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Happy Pride and Happy Indigenous Month in Canada. Oki, Naganago, Megoche, Chestokom Oki, or Dekots, Nagotine, Siku. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. I'm speaking to you on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Ghanai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley Chiniki Bearspaw Nations of the Stony Nations, and the Dene from Sutina, my cousins. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. It is, as it is Pride Month, it is important to understand the straight agenda and gendered violence was and is forced on this land by Christian outsiders. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous as well as honouring the host as a guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner in a so-called time of reconciliation. It's important land acknowledgements have meaning. I encourage all people to introduce themselves with their acknowledgement of their ancestors, story of displacement, how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of Canada, a refugee, or other land displacement so that we as Indigenous peoples know how safe you are to be around. If you don't know how to pronounce your local Indigenous nation's name, won't say your pronouns, won't say your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, won't acknowledge imposed economic oppression or your role in reconciliation, I determine how safe you are to be around for my community, myself, my family. Uh, understanding land acknowledgements and their importance is literally Indigenous 101 because it immediately addresses colonialism, oppression dynamics, broken treaties, and lies taught today in Canadian schools nationally. That's why settlers and those that call themselves native Calgarians show me you have no Indigenous 101 understanding. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Great Bear Lake tribe in Treaty 11. My people wore rabbit skin, so we've been referred to as the land of the hair people. In a native, uh, I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Kincho Tene Indahe in Satu Dene meaning many big dog town, named after the Calgary Stampede. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot Mokinstis, as Michelle Elliott, an English name that's afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknife Dene. Through my father, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having a Canadian um, imposed status card which is a colonial construct by a Canadian policy meant to divide Indigenous peoples' inherent rights. Indigenous Two-Spirit or the Indigenous Two LGBTQ2 plus community, I said two twice because, yeah, one, you are special enough to have it twice, but two, because I'm trying to relearn how to say the acronym with the two in the front and mm -hmm. not in the back. <laughs> but old habits die hard. Anyway, Indigenous and uh, Two-Spirit are at the bottom of the Canadian uh, socio-economic ladder because of colonial trauma, imposed poverty, racism, gendered violence, and land theft. As a Dene woman who attempted to run for harmful colonial parties, spent money to be at expensive conventions, left my home to travel to conventions just to vote on incomplete policies that still allow incarceration, a denial of justice, denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma, and genocide of Indigenous and Black peoples, I have worked to continue reports to advocate for, an attempt to work within these systems meant to harm me and my community. I can't say, you know, have a great pride and have a great Indigenous Awareness Month when I know my community is dying from the current drug policies and systems of imposed Christian-based drug policies, abstinence programming, um, private health care, justice systems built on racism, land theft, and imposed British constructs that continue genocide on Indigenous peoples. Uh, today, Frank Young of Red Earth Free Nation is still missing with no Amber Alert. I think of them. I think we hope, I hope we honor their lives every podcast. And I hope you all see your role in the importance of stopping harm. And as a citizen, see your role in reconciliation. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been kind to me on my Red Road journey. 
Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Satu Dene. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot and Dene elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or interpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share what my journey as I walk the red road. You know, I've been accused of not being kind while surviving genocide. Yet I've given free book clubs, podcasts, and info on my social media for years. So have many others. At this point, it is willful to be ignorant on these issues. <clears throat> my patron account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge in support. Thank you to previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or your questions. Also, giving a review helps on whatever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel. You can go and subscribe. You can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And today, I'm very blessed to have two wonderful women join me on my podcast. And I'd like to give you both the floor and introduce yourself in your way. So hello, my name is Jacqueline. And I'm also here with my sister, Jaden. <laughs> um, so our family last name is Pace, but Jaden was actually recently married. Yeah, one year ago today, I got married. And so my new last name is Kahinka. Kahinka, happy anniversary. <laughs> Thank <Yes>. you. <laughs> Um, so our family comes from Treaty 4 on Fishing Lake First Nation, and uh, we come from the Soto uh, Bear Clan, um, where we are also known as, as Anishinaabe. And we also come from, or our family comes from the Ukraine and Austria. Mm -hmm. uh, so our grandparents actually came from Austria right after World War II, and they settled in rural Saskatchewan, and they still live there. They were farmers. Mm -hmm. And our uh, on our dad's side, it's our grandma, our Kukum, who was Indigenous, and she married a Ukrainian man. Mm -hmm. And it's actually quite a beautiful story of like of the Ukrainians and, and First Nations yes. people having such beautiful community. Mm -hmm. They accepted her and it was one of the, I think, one of the few experiences she really had of being embraced and accepted. Yeah, I think so too. And well, we, um, our grandfather passed away when our dad was like 13. Mm -hmm. So we never got to kind of meet him or understand that. So it was mostly our grandma and then our Austrian grandparents that we got the most influence from. I'd say mostly the Austrian grandparents because they were very passionate and loved to teach tradition. And so we kind of were raised being we're Austrian and we, yes, we have a little bit of indigenous in us, but we mostly know the Austrian side. And mm -hmm. so that was really interesting growing up with that kind of dynamic of having our grandma with us constantly, but still focusing on the Austrian mm -hmm. culture. Yeah. And so we actually grew up the first um, half of our lives. We grew up in a small community called Fort Capel, which is right outside of Regina. And it's actually a very unique concept where the indigenous cultures uh, that surround this community are interwoven into the community. So the second language of the school is actually Cree, mm -hmm. which is so cool. cool. So we actually grew up with our, our grandmother, our Kukum, taking us to powwow. So the mm -hmm. first part of our our, our our young life was very rich in culture, but uh, I think when I was in probably grade one and you were in I was in kindergarten. Yeah, we moved to another community in southern Saskatchewan that's predominantly Caucasian. Uh, I would say no really awareness. It's a very conservative. Very conservative. Yeah. yeah, and so I think that's where we disconnected from our indigenous culture. Our grandmother helped raise us, mm -hmm. so she was a very um, she's probably still like one of the people we've loved and felt mm -hmm. loved most by yeah. and she actually she left everything and she followed us to um this new community so mm -hmm. she left her community she left feeling like probably her culture yeah her culture and we completely disconnected so um that and that's kind of where we grew up for the rest mm -hmm. of our lives was in that community yeah Wow. Okay, we have so much more in common than you even know. So oh, my yeah. dad's from Yorkton, Saskatchewan. So my grandparents are from there. And That's my stepmom, <laughs> my stepmom is a pirate and her family came from Austria. We literally have so much in common. Like it's incredible to hear Shut that. Wild. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I totally understand what your love for for both 
cultures because mm -hmm. you know when you grow up in saskatchewan and, and alberta like ukrainians are everywhere mm -hmm. i actually was offended when i went into a restaurant and i was like asking for pierogies and sausage and they didn't have it i was like <laughs> how dare you dare. yeah do you know where we are <laughs> yeah like like how does this work i don't understand and then it was later i realized that ukrainians are like so this is their third wave coming in and i i like think about our families who have like seen so many like this is you know the so i guess your grandma would have had the second wave come in you know mm -hmm. and 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 like there's so much commonality between between those but my austrian side it was totally by fluke that uh, my family ended up here or my my stepmom's family ended up here so um and funny enough my great grandma our great step grandma we always called her oma and oh and wow when, yeah so i was like i was asking my my stepmom do you want samantha to call you oma and she was like no that's my oma <laughs> yeah that's kind of what our mom said we were like do you want to be called oma when we have kids and she kind of like didn't she, like yeah that she was idea. a little offended as well <laughs> at least it's a commonality and yeah. a cute story to tell you real quick is that so when my my step grandfather passed away um they have a ridiculous like you know bench and everything like to honor him and uh so my my uh, step grandma went there to visit and there was this man sitting on on her bench and she's all indignant like get off my bench and it was this german fellow who his wife was buried very close and he had he had seen the Austrian uh, writing, so he felt very comfortable kind of sitting there. And then they started dating. And <laughs> I know, right? And and so anyway, when he passed away, he he was buried with his wife. And um, and she's still here with us, but I know she'll be buried beside her husband. So like the, like boyfriend and girlfriend will still be kind of buried together too. <laughs> <laughs> so such a sweet story, right? And I, I just I love that. So I, I can't believe how much we have in common already. Uh, but your mom or your grandma, you know, moving with you to that area of Saskatchewan, like, holy, it's really bad. My my grandparents were really racist, really racist. And uh, they both passed away now. And uh, I have to go out to Saskatchewan one more time to see where um, they've been, their ashes have been placed. So like, that's on my to-do list, but probably not this summer because I, I think I'm not going to Yellowknife for my auntie's wedding already uh, because I just, we got a notice from CERB or notice from Revenue Canada that we are gonna owe CERB. They haven't even paid us unemployment for, for December but somehow we're gonna owe them money. And I'm just like, this is a freaking nightmare. Like this system is so designed to keep you like, a, like not just paycheck to paycheck, but like mm -hmm. they want your house to go to the banks and they want you yes. paying rent. And it's like, this is so ridiculous. I can't even. So anyway, I didn't mean to go off so much off topic there, but we just have so much in commonality there. And I, I'm really excited, but my, um, my, my grandma who's, who's uh, Denny and my mom who's Denny um, and my my aunts and my uncles like they've always been in my life but because mm -hmm. I have so much racism come from my Saskatchewan side of the family like I've had to unlearn racism yeah. my entire life and mm -hmm. I and, and then of course when growing up in Sylvan Lake it was amplified in the curriculum right mm -hmm. and then the Oka crisis happened and I just felt like such a pariah as a native growing up in Western Canada, which is so ironic because these are our mm -hmm. lands. Like now it's ridiculous, but when you're a child, it sucked. What was it like for you guys growing up? Well, it is interesting. I mean, so I I pass as very uh, white or Caucasian and Jaden passes as quite indigenous. Yeah. So I think we actually had quite different um, experiences growing up um mm -hmm. like I think for me it was very I, I think when I was younger I didn't really I never experienced anything any bias anything like that um I would tell people that I had a first nations grandma but I think for a lot of my life up until probably um, a couple years ago in university feeling like I had a claim to say that I was Indigenous because of how I I looked and and so I think for me 
I had like a very interesting experience where I think I felt because I didn't physically mm -hmm. represent the culture, I had no um, kind of claim to even mm -hmm. say that that was mine, right? I had an indigenous grandmother and that, and that was it. I was Austrian and, and mm -hmm. maybe a bit Ukrainian, but I think for me, because I do have like the dark hair, dark, darker skin, dark brown eyes, I got, well, I got so many questions of being like, oh, what are you? You look so exotic. You, are you like Latina, Egyptian, like endless things. And then, so that question kind of got old, but when I was even younger, I'd say I did almost try and I think dissociate myself from the culture a little mm -hmm. bit. I think because we saw our grandma not have the same passion for her culture that our Oma did. I yeah. was like, okay, well then, I should just not have that passion for indigenous culture and then focus more on the Austrian mm -hmm. side. And so I think I, like, I was almost like ashamed of it a little bit when people would ask, I'd be very more reluctant to say, mm -hmm. and I'm indigenous. I'd be like, well, I'm this much Austrian, this much Ukrainian. Oh, and I'm also part indigenous. And looking back, it kind of like breaks my heart for my younger self. But same. at the same time, that was just how it was. And I did yeah. feel like when people and also in school people would make some like jokes towards like yeah. indigenous peoples and it would make me want to dissociate further and be like well that's not me that's yeah. a, my grandma's indigenous but I'm not mm -hmm. so it was really kind of just like this dissociation with the culture that yeah. I was that was intentional yeah. and then it wasn't until the past few years as well that I that I started kind of claiming that back and then talking with our grandma before she passed of trying to get those stories and trying to get, like understand a little bit more about the mm -hmm. culture, but it was still her, I think, feeling a little bit of that shame where yeah. she didn't want to share out of like a protection for yeah. us in yep. a way. So it was very interesting. And then since she's passed, I feel like we've, we've really claimed it for ourselves. We've really been trying to learn a lot more about the culture, meeting so many new people, forming mm -hmm. like our own community of yeah. Indigenous peoples on our own feels very also empowering. Yeah, and and so our, our grandmother, she passed away um, September 2020, so just not too long ago. And I think for both of us, it was very much a turning point in mm -hmm. our in our lives. And our, like our grandma, loved us so mm -hmm. well and like it still whenever I talk about her either of us it makes us quite emotional so if our voices are shaky that's why mm -hmm. but we just like she had so much trauma and there were so many hardships that she faced and 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 she lived a lot of her life off reserve so her whole life she was neither fully indigenous or fully or could never be accepted by either community so she was so incredibly strong and she loved Jaden and I so well like so she's definition of unconditional love yes. like we could like if we got a tattoo or something yeah. she'd be like I love it because it's on you yes. <laughs> <laughs> she, was, she was yeah I, I I've never felt more safe or accepted by someone mm -hmm. um and it's just amazing because she faced so much so much adversity and so everything like the hesitancy to teach us Soto the hesitancy to tell us stories it was never out of um not wanting us to be included it was always out of protection mm -hmm. um because of yeah. trauma and all of these things that I don't need to explain um but so her funeral so she passed away in the fall of 2020 and it was easily one of the most painful but also beautiful mm -hmm. experiences of of our entire lives we were embraced by the community we felt so incredibly connected and i think both of us felt a newfound um sense of courage to because mm -hmm. it's vulnerable to reconnect and i'm sure you can you can relate like it's it's very vulnerable to feel mm -hmm. to take those steps and to to ask questions because you don't know and 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 so that's kind of when we both together separately um had the same kind of I would almost say like spiritual like awakening in yeah. our hearts to like okay like this is what we want we want to we want this as it's part of who we are and also like we don't want people to go through what our grandmother went through mm -hmm. so we want to be a part of this movement of indigenous people like walking forward in mm -hmm. not what the government says reconciliation but what true reconciliation is right to the to the land to each other and mm -hmm. and um so 
yeah, that's kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of where we're at. Oh, that's on her grandma here just for a second. Holy. Yes. <laughs> but I do understand what you're saying. I, I feel so much relate, like I, I just relate to almost every single thing you've said, honestly. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and it was interesting when I was younger, uh, people would ask how native I was. And I was like, well, my mom's native. And they're like, well, then you're native. And even though I had a status card, I would be like, yeah, but I don't know anything about that part of me. And, um, and a lot of people like, like you, I would ask me, you know, my background, and I was just okay with telling them, you know, uh, if they would ask Italian, I'd say, yep, because I just didn't want to discuss yeah. it. I just didn't want to be treated poorly, because I was native. And um, in those days, that I, I mean, today, it still are, but it, you know, in those days, that's just how I felt. And of mm -hmm. course, I'm ashamed of that. I'm ashamed that I was ashamed of being native, but mm -hmm. I didn't know better. And uh, and just so you both know, like I have a lot of my dad's features, so I feel very similar that I felt I, I was white passing, which is ironic because like I'm so much darker, especially than like my daughter and such. <laughs> um, but my my brother, he looks a lot more like my mom. Like he has the dark hair, the dark eyes, and the the features, but he's super tall, like my dad. So I'm super short like my mom and he's super tall like my dad. So uh, just different life experiences. He had, uh, you know, fistfight every single day in school as a result of him being a native boy. And, um, you know, it was really unfairly targeted by the teachers and made to be some kind of problem child. And which is really ironic because, you know, he, he was just a kid who was like every other kid, but because of his skin, he wasn't treated equally. So, um, but he was also a boy and we were really we really grew up in a toxic environment um sylvan lake is mainly a hockey town and in those days it was like perfectly acceptable to be fighting especially if you're a boy and um you know domestic violence was quite normalized etc cetera, etc cetera. so it was just kind of a toxic place mm -hmm. and um you know so just the different experiences already just my brother and i and you both are experiencing that too so i just wanted to let you know how much i related to everything you said mm -hmm. but really and truly while you were here I, I know you have some great projects you're working on and i'd love to focus on them and then have you um you know tell people what you're doing right now yeah well so um, when I was in university, I started volunteering um, for an organization called Woven, and Woven works in Southeast Asia to essentially combat human trafficking, but they do this through safe homes and safe work opportunities and education, and it's completely locally, it's locally founded and continues to be led by local people, so it's such an amazing organization. I actually lived in Asia for about eight months in 2019, and I think something in me just kind of I heard too many stories and too, I had seen too many things to just have my life be I guess about me um and about, like you know like working towards you know making my own bank account increase like I just I can't after what I've seen I just can't like I've kind of been ruined for the ordinary essentially and so and then it was when I got back that our grandmother passed away mm -hmm. and so that's when both of us were kind of set on this path so um it was that fall my uh, team at Woven, they came to me and they said, you know, we are so challenged in our hearts that we are working in Asia and that's amazing and it's needed, but we live on treaty land and we are doing nothing to even acknowledge that exploitation and trafficking are rampant here and so horribly disproportionately oh affect gosh. Indigenous peoples. And we know that you know, this is part of your heart and, and you are Indigenous and we are wondering if you would want to lead us in what what does partnership look like? What does allyship look like? And, and it was intimidating, right? Because I was, we, I had just started on this journey of reconnecting. And so, but I just felt so strongly in my spirit that this was where I was supposed to go. So the, I graduated from university with a business degree and I started um, in January. And we have this rule in our organization that if you were to go serve overseas with our team, you're actually not allowed to work for a certain amount of time. If you serve long-term, it's about a year. So it's to learn the language, it's to understand the culture, it's to meet people, understand the strengths, and then you can step in and start contributing. 
And so that's kind of the same degree of respect and, and honor. I thought this was due. Mm -hmm. We would not step in to, to help. In, I'm, I'm using air quotes okay, yeah. for everyone listening, <laughs> but we would not do any actionable items until we had spent a year speaking to people, learning mm -hmm. and getting challenged and redirected before we would even aim to help. Um, so I just started talking to people and this is during the pandemic. So it was just a lot of Zoom meetings. Mm -hmm. um, and then Jaden joined in July, but I'll, yeah. allow you, I'll let you kind of explain how you got there. Yeah, so after our grandma's funeral, I, I was still in my last year of university and my degree was very, like it was, um, like my time was all consumed by school and I also was I still have the hopes to apply and get into med school sometime in the future I'm not sure exactly when but that's just always been a dream of mine that I'm going to continue alongside this but I also got married last year so it was just a very busy year up until June and so in July I kind of had Jacqueline kind of planted the seed in my heart back in the fall and so I kind of kept that with me and my heart just was like longing to do this work, but also consumed by other things at the time. So in July, when finally life started to settle, settle down, that's mm -hmm. kind of when we started like, okay, like we want to do this, like, let's just start. And we were like, well, where we didn't know where to start. So no. we just kind of started reading, started emailing people, mm -hmm. started having conversations and it like slowly it was like kind of like a tree branch expanding mm -hmm. of like our resources our knowledge our like little network that we've kind of helped or like created around us so sure. this last year has been also very personal because mm -hmm. I think it's really when we also started to reclaim our indigenous identity of being like yes we our grandma was indigenous and we are and we want to do something but now mm -hmm. it's like we are Indigenous. We want to do this for our Indigenous brothers and sisters. And our hearts are so passionate in that way and kind of feel that empowerment in our culture. So mm. that's also been something that we've had to learn this past year as well. So that personal side as well as the, yeah. the project. Which you were actually a big part of, Michelle. I don't know if yes. you remember, but it was a huge turning point for us. I think it was in August. But you were the one who was kind of switched our way of thinking because we before we chatted with you, our, our emails were very much like, yeah, we had like our grandma was indigenous, like justifying everything. Yeah. <laughs> and then you were the one to say, like, stop talking like that. You are indigenous. And I think that really it, it really was a turning point for mm -hmm. us in the summer of last year, like getting started and, and how we, yeah, <laughs> how we spoke changed, how we, how we called people changed. It was just like, this is what we're doing. Um, and so we, I think after that, that was very much empowered us mm -hmm. to really move forward. Um, I think what we also learned, sorry, we, we, we feel like we have to kind of preface what we're doing with kind of what we learned because that was the most important part of last year. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing that was the most important was the attitude of helping, um, which we were challenged by a good friend of ours um, named Holly Fortier. And she, when we were kind of saying, we were kind of talking with her about like, this is our, our hearts. We, we hate that our indigenous women and girls and two-spirited, uh, brothers and sisters are are facing this exploitation mm -hmm. and like what can we do what how can we help mm -hmm. and she said first of all I want you to switch your thinking from what can I do to help to what can I learn because she mm -hmm. said we are resilient we already have the tools and 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 we have the wisdom and we have the healing um practices mm -hmm. that like we have that embedded in our culture. It's not about what you can do to help, like it's already there, mm -hmm. but how, but change your attitude to like, what, how can you walk alongside? How can you partner? Mm -hmm. How can you champion um, those who are already doing this work? And, mm -hmm. and even acknowledging the fact that we are not starting something new, like brave men and women and, and, and two-spirit indiv individuals have paved the way mm -hmm. for us. And that was actually a huge, learning point for us as well yeah for sure um, yeah. yeah but Jane I'll let you kind of explain the curriculum that yeah um, so we, we also this past year went through a Dustin Louis dissertation on preventative education for indigenous girls vulnerable to the sex trade and so we went over this for a few months and it was so interesting kind of heartbreaking at times but also eye-opening 
And it's, it really showed that there is a lack of academic research for community-led and um, kind of like uh, community-led healing in a way mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And not about the agencies coming in to help, but we already have the resources on our reserve lands to do these sort of things that can also integrate the culture, which is such a huge and critical part of the healing mm -hmm. into it as well. And so I think a few months ago after going through it and also just kind of thinking of um, the organizations we've dealt with in the past and kind of just like picking things that we liked from things. And so we kind of decided that our kind of goal would be to create some sort of framework for a curriculum that is like preventative education for sexual exploitation, something that could be led by on each reserve by community members, teachers, mm -hmm. elders, aunts, cookums, just people that are on the community, which these children could access easily. And so that's kind of something that we've been thinking of and trying to create some sort of task force to see like the resources that we have on hand, because it's not something that Jacqueline and I could do nor want to do alone. So just trying to find a team right now to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like certain individuals who we have, um, like friends of ours who we've, who we've gotten to know in this network, but the, the heart behind it is that, um, what happens so often with, um, anti-exploitation or anti-trafficking or any kind of agency is they go into communities and they're just mm -hmm. like and they're strangers and then they give a presentation in the school and then they leave and when something happens that's distressing it's very vulnerable to seek help so why would you go to someone that you don't even know mm -hmm. and so the point of this of this framework is to is to establish essentially establish what's already there but mm -hmm. create a um a, like a trusting group of people that's there but in our research, we were also challenged as well. Like this, this journey cannot be done without people challenging you and redirecting you. But mm -hmm. so this paper is very much focused on indigenous girls. And we were challenged by another um, amazing indigenous woman that, you know, you can't address something without addressing or without including everyone, like men and boys face exploitation. Mm -hmm. And also we don't even acknowledge two-spirited individuals and how they actually face way more um, um, risk and there's actually almost no research mm -hmm. or or there's very few services for them and yeah. so that was another thing that we were kind of challenged on so our next step is to kind of uh pivot a little bit how we are pursuing this but the point of it is it will look different in each community mm -hmm. um so we're starting with a friend of ours who who lives on Morley and and um our dream is honestly to go back to our, our community in Saskatchewan, but um, yeah, we're super passionate about, you know, the community already has what they, mm -hmm. know. we have what we need. We're a resilient people, right? We're still here for a reason, you know? And, and, and so this isn't about starting something new. And, and so the other thing that we're, we're working on or doing is essentially how do we organize collective impact? So, so we, like we said before, we're not starting something new. There are amazing individuals, indigenous individuals and agencies who are already doing amazing work. So we're not reinventing a wheel. We're not starting our own organization. Um, but how do we work together on this? Because it's still such a huge problem. It's unrecognized. There's so many, there are a lot of agencies that fight trafficking but we need to lead and be supported in, in this work because it's, it has to be culturally led, right? Yes. Like, like we can't bring healing or reconciliation without our culture being at the forefront. And so that's something that we're exploring as well as putting together some kind of, and if there is one, maybe let us know about it because we'd like, love to be on one, but we haven't come across one, but one specifically for our region of Alberta, specifically for, or I guess Treaty 7, like of our, um, to specifically focus our, on our Indigenous communities, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the other thing that we're focusing on is putting that together. Mm -hmm. Well, boy, where do we start here? So yeah. on Healing Lodge, like they mm -hmm. um, may be very interested in working with you, with your you know, maybe a year ago, they would have been like, I don't think we can do this yet. But maybe now knowing where you're coming from, they mm -hmm. would be able to. Um, so in the city by Paul Brandt, like, 
you just encapsulated so well when an outsider organization that doesn't understand anything about you tries to help you. Um, you know, I, I think he's trying to do good work, but it, um, like what you were saying, you preferenced about South Asia, like learning about the people and such for a year before even going there, like, like Mormons, Christian organizations, they're like, oh God, no, we know the best way ever because we're best and we're the most superior and we're going to go in and teach you all about our religion and abstinence and then your problem solved, no problem, <laughs> right? And then it never works and everybody feels guilt, shame and all the other Christian crapola that they throw at you. So, you know, it, it's a real gap, especially in Alberta. Because as you know, um, all the white people in charge only fund Christian-led organizations. Mm. And even the, um, you know, supposed to be non-profit ones that are not religious-based, they're all run by white people who happen to be Christian by accident. Uh, it's not accident, it's systemic. So for anyone who takes that out of context, like, get a joke, <laughs> figure it out. Uh, that bigger picture is that, you know, when you bring your Christian values and your colonial values and your white supremacy values, you don't see the problem and it, you are the problem, right? So obviously you guys are both well on your way of decolonizing your, your thinking and, and working on culturally appropriate uh, resources. And um, you know, this great thing about Treaty 7 is that we actually do have a lot more funding than we, I, I think that some other nations even have, mm -hmm. uh, because we have a lot of like wealth in oil and gas and, um, you know, places like Shell and Suncor are like, oh my God, we want to help our natives because we're Christian and we come with our colonial point of view. And if we throw money, then we can say we solved it. So they'll give us money. And I mm -hmm. like, that's, that's an ethical issue. Like, oh, do I really want to partner with uh, fossil fuels who are, you know, killing our indigenous women over in Wet'suwet'en or, or Wet'suwet'en or up in Northern Alberta. No, that doesn't sound or feel good. So taking that money feels bad. So it's, uh, it's hard to determine what is the right place. Um, so I don't know if you've heard of First Nation Information uh, Governance Network or Center. So it's F-N-I-G-C, that's .ca or .org one or the other anyway they are all about taking indigenous data and keeping it indigenous and they follow these uh principles of ownership control access and possession of data specifically mm -hmm. medical data so they might be a group that you could somehow partner with as well either or i really recommend any of my listeners or you anybody to kind of follow those principles the OCAP principles when uh doing this type of work because this is your work and it shouldn't be like if it's sponsored by UFC, it shouldn't become like some white professor that overseed it. It's like, oh yeah, this is totally my work. And these two native girls just did it for me. Like that's not okay, right? <laughs> so we don't want to go down that road. Um AHS, problematic, incredibly problematic, but they may want to do some sponsoring because uh through there's a like a First Nation Doctors Coalition, like Health Coalition, and it's actually sponsored through the federal government, but they're specific to um, Indigenous in Alberta. And um, they're the ones who are helping me with like my Narcan issue, another story for another day, but uh, trying to access that in a colonial system that's like, no, we want dead Native kids, so let's just not give them Narcan. Um, you know, they're the ones who are helping me, this First Nation group. Uh, so I can give you that contact as well. But um, my bigger picture here is that we have huge amount of following in Ontario and in Alberta. And I'm hoping people who are listening are like, I don't know, they're from Grand Prairie and doing this thing. They're going to be like, we need these girls. And I'm hoping they'll contact you. So mm -hmm. what is the best way to contact you? Uh, well, email or phone. I mean, we're both uh, millennials or Gen X or, or, or Gen Z. So we're on our phones all the time. Um, so we can even give you our email to be put into the notes. But my email is Jackie, which is J-A-C-K-I-E, and then at woveninternational.com. Literally how it sounds. Perfect. Yep. That'll be exactly what we put in our information to send out there. And, um, and hopefully we'll get you connected. You know, I was just at, uh, I, I was at two policing events, one with the Calgary, one with Sutina. And the one that Sutina had Stephanie Harp, and she's a really loud advocate up in Fort Mackay. 
and uh, she knows Holly because Holly was actually at that um, event as well. And she did a full day of Indigenous training for all of the folks that were in there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I sat with some folks and I was insulted actually when mm -hmm. uh, Marie Sinclair was had spoke and I turned to one of the folks at my table and said, so what did you think? <sighs> well, I don't even know where to start. He's just so well-spoken. I'm like, Mm. He literally just spent an hour telling you to fucking do something and mm -hmm. your big response is, oh my God, he's just, he's such a good native that speaks well. Yeah. You know, yeah. so yeah. my, I wish, I wish that non-natives like listened and heard, mm. uh, but I know for a lot of them, they just work in nonprofit, got the day off to go, you know, sit in a conference and check their, you know, social media. So yeah. sucks, but like I heard them loud and clear. Mm. they non-indigenous need to do more and um you know i i don't know well i do know it's white supremacy white fragility all that fun stuff of like oh my god i just don't know what to do even though i have all these reports in front of me and all these natives telling me exactly what to do oh my god i just do it yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my hope is is that you can find the right people that will work with you and it sounds like you have sounds like you know about Holly Fortier it sounds like you know um people like Dustin Louie he's great and uh his uh information that he gives is really good I, I remember reading one of his points on uh like there's like I don't know four prisons or something in the space that he was at and then they all the prisoners get released on the streets and it's like this is a real really problematic for all the native women that are right there mm -hmm. because they're yeah. in between all these reserves and such and as you know like imposed poverty is what is causing all of this mm -hmm. so of course we're the most vulnerable uh, demographic in the two-spirit um they're so vulnerable they're not even counted in yeah. a lot of the demographics like i remember um learning about you know lgbtq issues in general and not finding stuff on two-spirit because those organizations are still so goddamn racist and they're mm -hmm. like natives psh, no natives allowed psh, no natives allowed psh, no blacks allowed and it's like whoa so um i i was a part of voices um voices was a grassroots group that was started here when the black lives matter uh group stopped the parade in toronto and said whoa y'all racist and mm -hmm out here um at that time calgary pride was predominantly run by white gay men and mm -hmm. they didn't know about the problems and then here i was the co-chair to mmiw talking about uh two-spirit and these issues and they were like what's this stupid straight woman doing here <laughs> and it's like because i've studied this and i see a huge gap when it comes to two-spirit and just because you're all racist and won't see it and won't address it doesn't make it less true. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, again, the Two-Spirit have been very strong in their advocacy. I have learned so much from so many of the elders all the way down to uh, the new queers. They're the ones who are challenging me, telling me, um, don't say LGBTQ2+, say 2LGBTQ+. And I'm like, fine then I will. <laughs> and I also learned, um, just because I, I heard it kind of being said, uh, we don't say two spirit did, we say two spirit. Mm -hmm. And and the reason is there's a, a whole write up if you were to Google about transgendered and transgender, mm -hmm. like you're not a, it, it changes the meaning, right? Mm -hmm. So you just say two spirit, and that's yeah. it. But if you Google it, and this is more for my listeners, if you Google, don't say transgendered, with an ED, you'll learn how that changes the language, right? And I think um, all three of us here are trying to decolonize our language and how we go about uh, describing. And as a straight cis uh, on Pride Month, like this is like the minimum effort I should be doing uh, mm -hmm. for folks that are, are in this demographic because, um, you know, I've never had to go through that gender dysphoria. I've never had to be excluded. I've never been um having the problem like i was always like yeah my boyfriend is george michael and then everybody would laugh at me and they're like no he's not your boyfriend babe and i'd be <laughs> like yes he is he's the hottest man there ever has been ever will be blah 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 and then it was like babe do you know what gay is and i'm like yeah that's what everybody says is wrong that's what i know right mm -hmm. and and so like the disconnect i've never had to go down that road of going like but i want a girlfriend 
mm. and unlike a lot of our our, our younglings. <laughs> yeah. well, so thanks for saying that, yeah, Michelle. We appreciate beautiful that. to also learn from one another. And I think sometimes now the mentality is very like cancel someone if they say something wrong. But I think it's more important to like through that show teaching and that can not only teach that person but like here mm. the viewers also could learn from that, that as well yeah in a very like gentle and loving mm. space still which is really great yeah and I am kind of mean compared to others like when I think of, <laughs> I met Holly I met Holly and she was she's just so sweet and gentle and mm. um you know but she I really resonated with a lot of things that she said where it's like I don't want to be up here teaching you mm. I'm like me too I don't want to be doing the <laughs> podcast I don't want to do this. I want to go watch Star Wars until <laughs> until I need bonbons on the couch, like everybody says I can. But no, instead I'm talking about uh, all these issues because we have to, and mm -hmm. and I don't want to be complacent because I think being complacent is enabling all of the awfulness. And um, as it turns out, my daughter is feeling very comfortable not identifying as straight, and um, so I, I'm that I couldn't be happier, right? Like, and I can't understand folks who disconnect from their kid because they're not straight and cis. I, mm -hmm. I will never respect that or understand that because um, that it's kind of back to what you said about unconditional love. Mm -hmm. I think of all the crap I put my mom through and she still <laughs> loves me and not like a little, like, like all the way. And she's just like, oh yeah, that was a hard time. I'm like, it wasn't a hard time. I was an awful human being. Like, really awful. I can't believe you forgive me. I haven't forgiven me for the way I treated you. Right. But she's just like, whatever. She's totally good with it. And I, that's unconditional love. And mm -hmm. I, I think of that with my daughter. I'm like, what could she possibly do that would upset me so much that I would never want to be around her. Right. And cause even systemic violence, systemic poverty, like if she did the worst thing ever. I still know where that would come from. It wouldn't yeah. be her fault. It would still be the stupid system that caused all of these issues. But anyway, I don't mean to get off track. I just wanted to really emphasize that we are lucky because like I learned from Heather or Heather, uh, Holly as well. And I heard that she, her daughter is like an amazing uh, lawyer who helps a lot of indigenous people. Uh, Stephanie Harp really spoke heart highly. I'm gonna say her name is Billy Fortier. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah, so. I have yet to meet her. I want to meet her, tell her how great I, I hear good things in the community. And I think it's important that we always say good things about each other mm -hmm. because um, it's easy to be mean, but also it adds to systemic racism, right? And systemic sexism and systemic yeah. gendered violence. We don't want to do that. Um, and I do want to do a plug because we're talking about violence against uh, gendered violence in general uh, for folks to be reading the MMIW inquiry. Uh, if you are part of my book club, we're doing it in sections, just like we did the TRC. So hopefully that will help people. And if you missed it, go back on my previous podcast and you can listen to our um, you know, unpacking of some of the inquiry. But um, of course, it's just better to read it. <laughs> yeah. So is there anything else you'd like to share with us tonight or today? Yeah, I think I would have one one thing to say because we never know who's listening and I just want to speak to our Indigenous brothers and sisters that our creator has created us with inherent value and that like no matter where you're at, you have so much value and importance and you have a strength that you don't you you're stronger than you realize so no matter where you are and there will be resources in the the uh, the write up of here but you have what you need already. And creator has created you with so much value and you are loved, even if it feels like you are alone. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I would just encourage people who are also reconnecting because we are very much on that journey. It's so, it's scary, it is, but it's such a wonderful, supportive, gentle, kind community. There are people yes. that are hurt and, um, and we're all kind of on this journey, but taking the step is very much worth it. That's what I would want to Say. Yeah, and I think going just along that with like the intergenerational trauma and all that things, I find that me and Jacqueline, when we do this healing and reconnecting, it feels like we're healing something inside of us that like was just there from from that. So mm -hmm. it goes farther back from us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's I believe been that in my heart too, and I 
just applaud you both for understanding that saying it i'm a big believer that sometimes the words that come to us are thoughts that aren't ours there are our ancestors mm -hmm. and that intergenerationally they're still speaking through us uh, mm -hmm. i'm a big believer of that i hear it from our elders from our sisters brothers aunties uncles that when they speak they don't have um you know uh, a speech they just speak from the heart and mm -hmm. i'm a big believer that our ancestors actually do talk through us um if we're open to it one but two that might be something non-indigenous not may not understand and judge us negatively for but um, to be strong with your words and understand who you are where you come from and know that our ancestors are always with us and loving us watching us and that's why we are actually never alone even yeah. though it feels that way a lot yeah. um so i i really applaud you both i emphasize everything you say lift you up you're welcome on the show anytime. I'd love to hear progress as you guys move forward. And just know that um, I'm, I'm here to support you and in any way, whether it's through text, emails, or, uh, you know, just uh, highlighting some of the work that you're doing. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank we you appreciate so you so much, Michelle. Yeah, it was yeah. such an honor to be on your show. <sighs> yeah, honor is mine. I wish you all knew that. <laughs> I can't believe anybody listens to the show sometimes. So. <laughs> But that again, that's just my trauma coming out. <laughs> so, so thank you both for being on. Come on back anytime. Know that we are here to be united in community. And I'm really, really grateful that you're doing the work you're doing because it's so needed, so mm -hmm. necessary. And I can't wait for this to air. And uh, with that, I will move on. And you guys are welcome to give me any resources that you kind of hear me saying as I go um always join my book club folks if you're you don't know if you're listening from anywhere there should be a reconciliation committee somewhere in your world here in calgary we have a reconciliation action group but there are many you know uh christian-based ones that are trying to get going too some are good last episode i made fun of all of them and said they're all hateful christian places but honestly there are some that are trying and um, I want to make clear that no matter what you're doing for reconciliation is it matters and you can tag me and I'll happily retweet it as you're either reclaiming who you are as an Indigenous person or trying to do good work of reconciliation. Um, I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions, cultural training, cultural first aid and all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people of colour, those with disabilities, LGBTQ, <laughs> I just did it, two LGBTQ, two. Oh, I said it twice to speak. <laughs> <laughs> I will get this to LGBTQ to speak plus. I like to say plus because I don't like to like not acknowledge the androgynous um, intersect um, and folks who just identify as, as queer questioning. I don't love to, yeah, I don't want to exclude any of them, especially on Pride Month. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you to Cheryl Ward. Chelsea Branch, Alicia Fritkin of heretohelp.bc.ca. They have a whole resource page on what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. Uh, their work are action tools that I've said hundreds of times in my podcast. So please support Indigenous work like that as part of your reconciliation work and settler understandings. I'm just lucky enough to highlight them and repeat them here. Internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized folks uh, experienced by the structure of racism imposed on these lands. Uh, Donna Bevins has a great website called racialequitytools.org. They have lots of resource files and a specific one on what is internalized racism. So if you identify as an oppressed group in any capacity, read it. So even if you're a woman and you're a white woman and you're like, you know, I experienced misogyny, like these are things you should be reading so that you understand intersectionality, but that you also understand that you can you can be a perpetuator of misogyny. Um, do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee, so AFSC.org. They have lots of information about if you see a marginalized person being um, mistreated and Point blank, folks, this is like the second podcast I can call out what Mark Neufeld did to Taylor McNally on Twitter. Like any one of my listeners have better either retweeted Taylor in some capacity or called out Mark because it is not okay for y'all to watch the chief of police go after um, a single black woman, a mother, 
and she, they're already suing her legally like what is wrong with you people that you don't understand oppression dynamics holy hannah so do's and don'ts for bystander intervention i mean we're talking this is systemic racism systemic oppression holy uh indigenous have been talking about our issues sharing our traumas and reports commissions public hearings uh theses so it can be regularly disregarded no more honor our words honor the treaties listen to politicians in their policies and platforms if they don't recognize marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus if they're cutting violence prevention programs services indigenous education uterus health choices gay straight alliances have a lack of human rights for migrants immigrants folks with disabilities know that your vote to that party is directly negatively impacting marginalized people demand that they implement the truth and reconciliation commission calls to action the recommendations of the royal commission on aboriginal peoples <clears throat> the multiple reports about child welfare reform and violence prevention and now 231 calls to justice from the national inquiry on missing or murdered indigenous women girls and two-spirit denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational justice and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing demand change from election platforms and politicians if they don't understand colonialism racism privilege and sexism they literally have zero business running this should be understood by all parties local politicians community organizations sports clubs etc uh really great articles are out there about being an indigenous ally so please google them if you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about today you need to talk there's the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They also have a website at hopeforwellness.ca, and right in there, there's a text option. So if more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit, you can call 844-413-6649. It is also 24-7. Uh, for non-Indigenous people, there are distress center lines in your area, a functioning 211 usually, and you can also call 833-456-4566. If you're a 60 scoop, um, so 60 scoop, just to be really clear, is a policy that started in the 60s, but it is 2022 and it is still ongoing. Uh, but you can go to ssisa.ca for a group that's working on that and if you are experiencing racism in alberta you can actually go to act to end racism or text at 587-507-3838 the following are two lgbtq2 plus uh, crisis supports that are available in most areas in canada um, you can go to lifevoice.ca where they have tons of resources the trans lifeline is 877-330-6366 the Trevor Project for LGBTQ youth, it doesn't say two in their acronym, Trevor Project, 866-844-7386. Uh, Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. This is self-care and how I take my power back. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely, without interruption, home policing, leadership shaming, uh, gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear about Indigenous opinions, but sure want to tell us theirs, by people who know nothing about Indigenous colonialism, uh, constant surveillance of our people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. I and many others share info on microaggressions daily, so it is unacceptable to say them anymore. Learn to be uh, trauma-informed. Folks like me are dealing with internalized racism, gatekeeping, and survivors that continue to, um, you know, dwell in their trauma. And even I'm in my trauma right now, and I'm trying to work out of it. Um, they stop people from doing the good work to, uh, and deplete personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for me and Indigenous peoples, folks with disabilities, um, QT BIPOC, and many others. Masi choke to my ancestors, to my granny and my mama, what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots and stepping up to uh, teach me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her, I'm a second generation proud Calgarian. Thank you, Darcy, for producing and editing the show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, the father of our child and my support down 
the journey of the Red Road, he has witnessed decades of trauma, racism, sexism, and to our child who we are blessed to learn from daily. We are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. I just hope that our child and my family will be proud in the future of trying to discuss these present day issues in a way that they can understand down the road. My patron account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you to the previous donors for already showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or your questions. Um, I also have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And I want to end by giving side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not your dish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. Thank you so much, folks, for listening. And thank you both for being on my show.